You're listening to the Horror Game and Friends Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Horror Given Friends podcast. I'm your host, Chad, and today we have a huge, huge episode for each and every single one of you. Now, this episode has been in the making for probably about a month. Um, If you've seen my Instagram stories and all my posts and everything, um, you know, I've been trying so, so hard for the past couple of months to get a guest on. But as you know, we had a writer strike and all that stuff, so it was really impossible. However... We were finally able to um, get an interview going, which is today, with none other than the Hellraiser legend, the chatterer himself, Mr. Nicholas Vince. Before we get into this episode, I want to thank each and every single one of you for all of the love and support that you guys have shown me this entire year. I mean, we did our first giveaways, we had some of the biggest names in horror history in the horror genre on the show you know um none of this has been possible without all of you thank you all so 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 much and cheers to 2024 enjoy this episode a special interview with nicholas vince all right we are back ladies and gentlemen with a very special guest you may have seen him in films such as hellraiser hellraiser 2 hellbound Nightbreed, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nicholas Vince. Mr. Vince, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Chad. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Absolutely. Good. Good. So whenever we have a special guest on the show, the first thing that we always like to ask um, is kind of what was the passion for wanting to pursue acting and film? Like what got you interested in, you know, this line of work? It, oh, interesting. I... I really young i i mean really young mm-hmm. i was like five six years old when mm-hmm. i got bitten by the bug not <laughs> professionally but school plays I remember playing the third king in the school nativity play <laughs> um and uh playing peter rabbit in the the um a, a school play i mean literally i would have been you know, yeah eight nine years eight years old something like that and that's where it all kind of Mm -hmm. kicked off and then i got into uh doing amateur dramatics and then went eventually went off to uh, mount view theater school that is so awesome and then when you really were like you know what this is what i want to do did you start pursuing like getting like an agent and stuff like that to start like auditioning for roles and and things like that yeah, I, I I did I did all those things. Um, nice. I remember writing to every um, every repertory theatre in the country in the UK at the time, mm-hmm. and getting nowhere, absolutely nowhere, and then um, and not getting anywhere at all, and then happened to go to a party in Crouch End, mm-hmm. which is near where I was in a drama school, and there okay. I met Clive Barker. Oh wow. Um, and he, you know, he, he, we got on really well. We became friends. I did a lot of modeling for him. And uh, eventually he just, he said, Nick, I'm making a film. Would you like to be part of it? So that really, that's kind of how, it, you know, and I remember because that had happened, I then really needed to get an agent to negotiate mm. the fee and then the son and asked around and uh, a gentleman called Derek Marr was my agent and sadly not been with us for many years. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was kind of like, it, it kind of did it all the wrong way around. So I, mm-hmm. hardly, I did some fringe theater, uh, but didn't do any 
um, really professional repertory theatre. Because in those days, it was very much the idea that you went into theatre and then you might get some TV, then you might get into films. I kind of just did it all the wrong way around. <laughs> really, really lucky. But that is so amazing. So you met Clive. And is that, of course, that's the role that came, you know, with Hellraiser. Mm. And that all came about and everything. Did you know that you were going to be such an integral part being a Cenobite in that movie? Or did was it kind of like, oh, you know, I'll play whatever Clive needs me to type of thing? Or did he kind of discuss a little bit about what you were going to do in the film? He, he it, It's really difficult. Well, okay. Did I know how integral the Cenobites were going to be to the film? No, not really, probably, mm. because... I mean, you had Andrew Robinson, you had Claire Higgins, you had Ashley. That's who the film is about. You know, I think right. I think Doug, tell me, Doug Bradley, this is, mm -hmm. uh, telling me that I think the Cenobites are on screen for no more than eight minutes in total. And I think my screen time is literally measured in three, four minutes that you actually get to see them. Mm -hmm. But I think it was when I, I saw the... Um, the makeup, the sculpt of mm. Chatterer. And I thought, oh, that is really very, very cool. That is really unusual. I don't remember seeing anything mm -hmm. uh, like this before in horror films. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I, I think what I did was I read The Hellbound Heart, the novella on which Hell, uh, Hellraiser is based, and I remember reading that and going, thinking, how much has he mentioned? <laughs> how much has <laughs> Chatterer mentioned? So, I mean, I, I, I knew I had no lines. I knew it was a kind of a very small part. It was a small part mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of what it was. just, you know, incredibly lucky that it, it's still, you know, we're talking about it 37 years later. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That is amazing. And I have to ask, like, the whole makeup and the costume and everything was it hard to see out of like everything like i can only I didn't really see it at all i really <laughs> couldn't see it this is this is something I explore in in my um uh the recent film i've been working on i am monsters literally i mean you know if you do that with your hand that's how much i could see wow. um, cover your right i just that's that's all i could see wow. um so it was and it was Therefore, I remember talking to an enthusiast at um, at a convention. He said it was a very measured performance, Mr. Vince. And I thought, yeah, because I could hardly move. <laughs> it was just so restricted. But funnily enough, it was, I think, because of that, it became very uh, restrained. And then weirdly, I think he had more power because of that. He Absolutely. has more, there is more strength by just being very, very still, hardly moving. Um, you know, it, it's, it the, the costume made the performance, really. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like that with a lot of horror roles, especially where it's almost like the less is it's the more. Kind of with like other characters like Michael Myers, who doesn't talk, who doesn't really move and everything. It kind of sets much more of a bigger presence. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Doug Bradley, when he's talking about do, doing Pinhead, um, uh, I remember when he he talks about when he got the Pinhead makeup on and he was working with Clive um, and uh, Clive was just saying, do, you know, do less, do less, do less. 
I mean, I, I, I literally all I could do was walk and chatter my teeth. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I think it kind of allows the audience's imagination to populate the character, to give a backstory. You never, I, you know, you, you, in the second film, spoilers for those of you who have not seen it, <laughs> um, he's revealed to have been a boy. And I think you know, that is a fascinating concept. But he, I think when you don't explain what's going on, you, it allows the audience to get in there um, to make up their own mind as why this character behaves as he does. Absolutely. And then I have to ask, because Clive Barker is such an amazing director. I mean, he's made so many films and then even his artwork and everything. How was it working mm. with Clive on like both films? Oh, well, okay. So uh, Clive didn't direct the second one. Mm -hmm. uh, that was di Tony Randall. Clive directed Nightbreed. Uh, Clive mm -hmm. directed Hellraiser and Nightbreed. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's fun. Really, really good fun. Clive, I mean, Clive's history is theatre. And, um, you know, Doug Bradley, um, known him since they were at school together. And Simon Bamford, who was at drama school with me, who went on to play Butterball actually joined Clive's theatre company. So I think Clive really knows how to talk to actors, uh, really get the best out of them. He, mm. You know, he really gets the best out of them. And it's like, um, I think it was just fun. And he's very funny. I, it, it, he's a very funny guy. <laughs> he's a very witty, witty person. Mm. And he, I think he also surrounded him with very funny people as well. So we had a lot of fun. Um, but working with Clive, uh, yeah, he's he he listens and he, but he has a very clear vision as to what he wants. Mm -hmm. um, so that, yeah, that really helps. That is amazing. And then it, it's so crazy, like how you're saying too, is like how we're still talking about this movie years later and everything and how much it's such a huge integral part in pop culture. I mean, the chatter is still alive. I'm not sure if you're aware, but he was actually brought into a video game. Um, I want to say a couple of months ago, Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight. It was actually, I think it was slightly earlier. I think it was earlier last year. Yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was somewhere. But somewhere on YouTube, um, <laughs> my friend Paddy Murphy got me to sit down and watch a playthrough of this on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's extraordinary. I think, yes, Pinhead is there and, and Chatterer <laughs> is there. I, yes, I think I'm very lucky that... Um, we're, we're, there we are i've got models all over the place <laughs> and 3d printings and so on of, of chatterer yeah I, I i do find it extraordinary that and again i'm very very grateful that after so many years he he's mm -hmm. still really appreciated I, I not wishing to i've no idea how old you are sir but i suspect you weren't born when we made this film I wasn't. I was born in. I was born in two thousand. <laughs> well, this is a case in point. This is the great joy of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, let me ask you the question: Is then what what attracts you to Hell Hellraiser? Oh my gosh, I, I think it's just the horror genre itself. I know for me personally, I got into it when I was around twelve or thirteen years old, and then mm -hmm. like um, the first like big thing that I got on one of those birthdays uh, was the movie Halloween. So after that, it was just seeing every like horror movie imaginable. So Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, like all of it. 
And then just, I don't know what it is about horror movies, but it's just like, I'm attracted to them where like, I love the stories and everything. And people automatically think, oh, it's the blood and gore. It's not that. Like, there's just some type of like fascination about it where it's just like, why are people scared from about, you know, these characters? What like energy and everything makes people think a certain way or act a certain way. And like, you know, the ambiance from the music and everything, it just, it just gets all put together really well. Yeah, I, I, it's really interesting. You would, you were, um, I was doing an interview the other day um, of a, uh, without your head. Um, and I think it's being broadcast this Thursday. Oh, nice. And uh, they've got Christopher Young, who composed the score to Hellraiser oh. uh, on their show. And, and it's like, yeah, it's the music. Um, we, we talk about, you know, Doug Bradley has always said that whenever he was going into the makeup for Pinhead, he'd put on the the music for, uh, he asked the makeup guys to put on the music mm-hmm. um, for Hellraiser. Me, when I was writing Hellraiser comics and when I've written, writing short stories, if, I've, if I'm ever doing anything within the world of Hellraiser, mm-hmm. then I just put on the music and then I'm right back there. Um, I know exactly which world I'm, I'm, I'm working in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's fascinating, I, but also you're. I, I find it interesting. You mm-hmm. say it's not the blood and the guts. I mean, that's obviously right. part of it, right? I, yeah, I talk about intelligent horror. I I. It's not just a series of jump scares, exactly. And I I love um, Nightmare on Elm Street because that whole concept. You know, there's a lot of blood and guts in there, but the whole concept that you can't escape somebody by falling asleep that you know he's there in your dreams that is mind-blowing um hellraiser is about you know it's a love triangle between um uh claire higgins uh, character and and frank played by oliver smith um and uh and so on and and andrew robinson you know there's there's, there's all that kind of going mm-hmm. i think if it's always horror at its best i think deals with love death and sex uh you know it taught it and also you know where is god and and my favorite horror film is um are you familiar with a a director called roger corman that sounds really familiar yeah okay i way before your time i mean we're talking about the 1960s um and he was known for um really cheap drive-in movies um but it, i think his uh his biography is called how i made a thousand movies in hollywood and never lost a dime <laughs> um he's an amazing director he did a series of uh films with vincent price based oh. on edgar Allan poe films nice. and my favorite movie of all time is uh the mask of the red death and you know that really is funny enough it's it it, i was watching it a lot during the pandemic because it's also based around about a plague Mm -hmm. um and so on and where is god if there's a plague if there's so much suffering in that you know and it's really i think horror can explore some really interesting topics absolutely it explores our fears and i think i've said this before during the pandemic, the, um, uh, a paper study was published by a university in New York, I believe, but saying that they realized that 
people who loved horror or watched horror films or um, uh, read horror mm -hmm. were doing better during the pandemic than those who didn't because we know how to deal with fear um we we we're used to it right i think that's important i think that's something you know you need to do is like otherwise fear just becomes panic um and it, i think that's to me why horror is kind of so interesting yeah, absolutely and the craziest thing too what makes i feel the horror genre so powerful is you can really think about anything in the world and make it into something related to horror you can make it a driving car that drives on its own you can make it a, a killer turkey or just something crazy it could be absolutely <laughs> anything and that's what's so powerful about the genre is like you can really think about anything and just somehow some way make it into a horror film or a I'm, story yeah i just <laughs> i mean some of my favorites are night of the lepus um which doesn't do terribly well but it's about giant rabbits um <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to remember the name of the film, which is all about a tire, uh, a, a, like a car tire that just rolls through the desert, killing people. Um, and that's bizarre. But you're absolutely right. I think if anyone has a fear about something, or, 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 then yeah, uh, you can make a horror film out of it. You can you can tap that now. Absolutely. And then would you say that when you know when you were doing theater and everything, were you really interested into horror or that, that kind of come on like a little bit later after doing, you know, some of the films and everything? No, I, I, I was interested in horror since I was a kid. Um, I, I read short stories. Um, I was really, the ones that always really interested me were mm -hmm. the ghost stories. Um, there was a, um, we have a, I was looking up to my left to see if I could find an example on my bookshelf. <laughs> uh, it's not easy to hand. Um, the Pan Book of Horror, collections of, of horror. Um, used to get little paperbacks with, um, in fact, I think the first horror story I ever read was Jekyll and Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh. Um, and I think I got through that through a school book club. Um, our English teacher, who funnily enough really helped encourage me in my acting, mm -hmm. she got me into um, the local dramatic society that she was a part of. Nice. Um, she ran this book club where you could order books uh, from a catalogue and so on. And I, and I just, yeah, I found Louis Stevens' Jekyll and Hyde. I think that was the first one. And then I um, read all sorts of all the classic um horror writers um mm -hmm. and yeah so for me it, it was so when clive happened to i think one of the reasons that clive and i got on well and became friends when we met was because we had a shared interest in horror and horror mm -hmm. films absolutely and yeah you know going going back to the same thing where it's just hellraiser is so prominent and people either see it one way where oh that movie is super terrifying like that scared me as a kid or they appreciate it just for like the art style of it of just the characters the music mm. just everything that's what i love about it like you know with a lot of these horror movies there's something special about some certain part of the movie whether it's the costumes the music or something but whenever you see it or hear it you just like connect with it in some way and I, especially with Hellraiser, I think just the Cenobites, like the characters, 
And then people automatically think like, oh, it's just blood and guts, but it's not, it's a way more than that, you know, with their costumes, they're dressed a certain way with like the black, like type leather and how they look. And there's like certain distinct features to where if you see them, that's not, oh, that's not Halloween. That's not Friday the 13th. That's Hellraiser. Like you can tell, you know, kind of identifying with them. I think I, Hellraiser was very different for its time. And I think that's one of the reasons it's lasted. And this is not, as I say, I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. My my um, stupid line is always, no teenagers were harmed during the making of this movie, <laughs> um, which made it different. You know, it wasn't about teenagers having sex, therefore getting punished and therefore getting killed. <laughs> um, in fact, Ashley doesn't have... Uh, uh, sorry, Kirsty rather. Ashley is the actress. Mm -hmm. Kirsty, the character of Kirsty. You think she might have sex with the boy she meets at the party, but he's sleeping on the floor and she's sleeping <laughs> in the bed. Um, so that you know, they, they. It's really clear they haven't had sex. Um, I don't know if that was Clive doing a deliberate nod to the fact that you know most of these things like friday the 13th it's all about horny teenagers having sex Probably, yeah. as a punishment because that's that's the way people roll mm -hmm. um i think you're absolutely right i think Clive was really lucky in that he managed to find image animation and some really really talented young people um, and they were young. I mean, they were like late teens, early 20s, the makeup guys, um, mostly. I mean, some of them are older, some of them um, were in their 30s, but a lot of the guys were very, were really at the very beginning of their career mm -hmm. um, when they when they worked on Hellraiser. And then when we came back and we did Nightbreed, um, the third film, uh, again, we met new guys. And they, I was thinking about this the other day, one of the um, makeup artists who worked on Kinski, who I play in Nightbreed, the, mm -hmm. the Moonface guy, mm -hmm. Neil Gorton, uh, went on to create Millennium FX, and he's still doing all the makeup and uh, effects for Doctor Who, the, the modern version, the Russell T. Davis mm -hmm. Doctor Who. That's amazing. Um, and run, uh, Mark Houllier has gone, who was his assistant on that, has gone on to win oscars it's you know it's great it's wonderful I, I really love the fact that you know you get to work with people at the very beginning of their career and see how how they've done many years later absolutely and then kind of deep diving into makeup process you as an actor would you say that being in kind of like full character with like prosthetics and stuff like that kind of brings the character to life like does that help you as an actor like seeing kind of all the yeah. makeup and everything yes i think that there's there's always I mean, obviously with Chatterer, you're making, uh, there is a perfect symbiosis between the actor and the makeup artist. Mm -hmm. We we can't survive without the other. Um, you, without the beautiful work of Nigel Booth, who did Chatterer, um, to create, um, and it's not just the artistic stuff, it's all the practical stuff to actually make these things work. Absolutely. Um, they, it really, you inhabit that character with Chatter. Now with Kinski, it was different uh, because I could hear, speak, and see when mm -hmm. I was wearing Kinski. But in that way, uh, I could just look in the mirror and I knew, you know, I knew who Kinski was. I could see right. him, you know, 
because it took five hours to put that makeup on. Wow. So I was sitting there watching it take shape. Um, I have to point out, you know, I was sitting in a chair. The two guys who were actually applying the makeup had the really tough job. Um, they had to walk. You know, they were on their feet all that time. They had to make sure it all looked great and it was painted and it all looked perfect. Mm-hmm. That was all their job. I just had to remember my lines and hit my mark. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I think, I just suddenly remembered Alec Guinness, the actor, um, Star Wars mm-hmm. actor. He always said it, he it comes from the walk. The character comes from the walk. Um, I don't know what you, it, I, I, I'm a big one for costume. If I want to know what his shoe, what shoes he's going to wear, what, what costume he's going to wear, because he's going to looking like, because that really helps understand what the character is about. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I think it's all part of the process and I think many different actors have different ways of doing it. Right. Um, it's, but for me, it's always been that kind of that physical outside that helps me understand who this character is because the character chose they, that clothing. I remember a drama school going around, you know, walking around a set and being encouraged by the uh, stage management team to walk around the set um, I was a it was a play called Charlie's Aunt, but basically it was my, the whole thing was set in my character's home, and I just remember walking around the set and think, I mean the books were just painted onto the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good old fashioned canvas flat, <laughs> but it's like you know they had and they just thought okay, well I chose those books. I this is I chose that chair. My character chose that chair. This is this is my place. Why did I choose that chair? What was what was the character thinking about it? Another one I remember was when we did uh, the Crucible by Arthur Miller, and again at drama school, um, writing a letter in character, and uh, then having that letter with me in my makeup kit so that mm-hmm. I could read it 20 minutes before curtain up, just so that I could get into that character, that frame of mind. I think all right. these things, you know, we have different ways of doing it. So yes, the character, mm-hmm. the, the costume, the makeup really, really does help. Mm-hmm. And it almost like, you know how you said, like you only had so much visibility with the chatter makeup on mm. and transforming into him, you know, mm. with the prosthetics and everything. So, mm. you know, you kind of see the whole process from, you know, just, being normal and then having you know the whole well of course the great thing about i mean this this worked with kinski because Mm -hmm. i could see chatter i couldn't see so i only knew what chatter looked like because from looking at the makeup on the bust where they used to store it because Mm -hmm. they they do a plaster cast of your head um to actually create the makeup Mm -hmm. so the mask used to live on the plaster cast uh, when i wasn't wearing it um so I could see it when it was off me. I knew what it would look. It would look right, right. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was wearing the makeup. Um, I mean, I could hear a bit. I could mm-hmm. see a little bit. Um, I remember being backstage at the um, or offset and meeting one of the 
I can't remember who it was. One of the other makeup artists, I think. Mm-hmm. So there were two lots of makeup artists. There were image animation, he did all the prosthetics, and then there were the not normal um, <laughs> makeup artists who dealt with Claire Higgins, Andrew Robinson, and Ashley Lawrence, etc., who did all the non-creature uh, mm-hmm. effects. And I think it was one of them. I remember walking down this corridor and um, this woman going, oh, God, that's horrible. And then I just ran my tongue over the plastic teeth because they're, they're not my teeth that you see. Mm-hmm. They're, they're stuck to my teeth. And she was really revolted um, by this idea. So and then wanting to ask and then asking Clive, it was okay if I could do this thing of running, right? Because it got a really good reaction. And he mm-hmm. said, no, because that Simon's doing that. as butterball so i think when you're doing that i think a lot of for me it's the reaction of other people and this is why i think it's an awful lot easier for actors if they're working when i non-character non-creature effect actors if they're dealing with proper makeup as opposed to cg it's um much easier for them because you're really looking at the chatterer rather than somebody with with dots around his face and and so on it's not that actors don't give wonderful performances working in cg of course they do Mm -hmm. i just think it's kind of easier because they're seeing what the audience is going to see rather than what you know everybody else sees absolutely and then you know the makeup and everything how you're saying it not only the actor portraying the character in that makeup, but the people around them, how they react to it. Mm, um, one thing mm. that I heard that was really interesting, um, kind of about this, was the, I think it came out in 2017, the It film, like the reboot. They specifically didn't show the little kids, like in that movie, the cast, what Pennywise looked like until like one of the main integral parts in the movie. And so that's when they kind of showed them off and they got like their actual reaction of like being scared and everything like that. And so, like, you know, the makeup and the costume and everything can have such an effect, not only just on the viewers, like, watching the movie, but, like, the cast itself, like, whoa, like, you know, and that's what's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, the way, you know, you deal with children on set. I remember when Steven Spielberg was making Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There's a really small child. I mean, I think he's, like, four or five years old. When, um, as part of the characters and there's a moment where you the, the aliens come and open the door and he, he's he smile and his eyes light up and it looks mm-hmm. amazing basically what off off camera Spielberg had set up a really really beautiful Christmas present for him <laughs> and I did a present a toy for him off so this kid was just reacting to looking at this toy right um, off, off off camera so I think yes yeah you're absolutely right um, and that's what's really cool and I and I think that you know these reactions and everything go through generations like through years and that's what keeps them you know alive really with just everything like I said the music the makeup the the way you remember feeling like when you saw a certain part of the movie or you know something like that and it carries itself for so long I mean it definitely Hellraiser did um and I have to ask have you seen the recent reboot I think it was on Hulu I believe it was yes yes Hulu I loved it Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it I think I, I know people are not some people have been negative about it I think this the daftest comment I, I heard is like, well, it's not as good as the original. Well, no, it never can be. 
you know, it's not the original. It's a right. it's a reimagining. And I thought they were incredibly faithful to Clive's vision. Uh, I thought they were um, really, uh, and it's interesting. I think it's very hard to do these things well if you're rebooting something like Hell. Absolutely, because. I, after I gave up acting uh, for a while, I uh, ended up by writing comics and I wrote Hellraiser comics. Now, the thing was to do not um, do the, it. somebody finds a box, opens it, and the Cenobites come. That is your story. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something <laughs> apart from that. You've Absolutely. got to do something very different. Um You've got to try and find. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, but they're all kids, not adults. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. So they're teenage. Yeah, they're younger than the, you know, it's not. And again, this is what I think made Hellraiser stand out from a lot of the films going on at the time. It wasn't about teenagers and fighting a monster or trying to escape the monster. Right. Um, it was about adults and it was about grown ups. Um, I really liked the. Um, uh, I really liked that. I thought it was. It, I, I, I particularly liked the fact that. The, they really took the phrase lament configuration and this idea that there were other configurations. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was a really interesting idea. That is really cool. And I have and to add... I... Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I, my wonderful husband has just given me a glass of water to help my <laughs> voice. Um, I, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Um you get you ask your question, it'll probably come back to me. <laughs> but um in Hellraiser or even just Nightbreed, any film, you know, that you, you've worked on and everything, what would you say has been like your favorite part just about the whole process of just filming, you know? It just in to- like in general. It's oh, it's it's really difficult to, you know, say your babies. Um <laughs> They're 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 also very different. I really like working with a company um, that I worked with just recently, Dark Rift Horror, um, who've got a film going the doing the doing incredibly well on the festival circuit um, for a film called How to Kill Monsters. Uh, in fact, they're the co-producers on my film. I am monsters, um, but How to Kill Monsters is always a really again. It's a great atmosphere on set i think that's really mm-hmm. um important i think those are the things you I, I remember most i remember doing a short film with a lady called katie bonham uh called mindless and having a really good time on that one mm-hmm. um just because the character i was playing was so intense and that was really interesting um but i it's yeah, it's really difficult to say to ch- just choose one. I mean, obviously, the one that is going to always be close to my heart is Hellraiser and Chatterer because mm-hmm. that was my first film, and I was just so really, really lucky that it, you know, that it, it's, it's. I was talking to other actor friends and really realizing how lucky I am that you, you know, to actually get into a franchise like that and be at the very beginning of a franchise like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You're really, really fortunate as an actor. 
Absolutely. And, you know, starting, you know, with acting and everything, um, I know you also have your own podcast, your show, um, The Chattering Hour. And I thought that was yes. really interesting. Um, you know, you talked to different special guests in the genre mm. and everything like that. If you wanted to talk about that, that was really interesting. I, I was listening oh. to some of the episodes and it's it's a really good show. I, I quite Thank enjoy you. it. Thank you. Well, it's, it's kind of on permanent hiatus at the moment. Um, I'm not quite sure. I, it may well come back. Okay. Uh, I, I'm definitely not going to say never again, but I think there are about 40 odd shows there. I, I that, that was something that sprung out of um, uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, when suddenly all these people were available to be chatted to. But I really enjoyed doing that. And I think if it was really interesting talking to all these actors like Malcolm McDowell, Lynn Shea, uh, et cetera, uh, Julian Sands, uh, mm -hmm. who we lost earlier this year. Uh, it's just, I was so fortunate to be able to just have a chat with them about what it is, you know, about being an actor. And so on, and some of the, the things, you know, um, Malcolm McDowell telling stories about the set of Caligula and the filming <laughs> of Caligula is absolutely fascinating. That is amazing. And then um, I didn't know until you told me was you have your own film, The I Am Monsters. I thought mm. that that's really interesting. Yeah, I so said basically what happened was uh, in 2019, mm -hmm. um, I'd been the... Uh, uh patron for the london horror festival nice. which was a theater festival so live it was it, it's britain's like um yeah it was the oldest longest running i think it got i think it went for about 15 years um and it was all about horror theater um and it was the fringe theater it was based in small venues about 60 70 seats um, there is there is something very different about seeing a horror performance where you are like three or four feet from the action rather than seeing it on a screen. Right. Um, really, really interesting stuff. Um, we and I thought, you know what, I could do. Uh, I watched an awful lot of one people person shows, and I thought, okay, I'd really like to do a one and show and i'd like to do it on hellraiser joshua etc but i want to mm -hmm. talk think more about my life but also what it is to be a monster hence i am monsters right. it's not just about portraying uh chatra chatra too and kinski but about playing you know being a monster in real life the, the times i think oh god i really shouldn't have done that or uh, you know, people told me I'm a monster for being gay. You know, all of those those things are kind of... And we put together... We filmed it in uh, last year. It premiered uh, this year in August at Fright Fest. Uh, I'm just waiting for... Um, to hear whether or not it's going to be doing another screening, probably beginning of February, uh, I think um at another festival uh, I, I was invited to submit because somebody had seen it um but also it should be coming out on blu-ray in spring i think or early next year it should be coming out on blu-ray that is amazing and how, how was it filming and you know creating that was that was that a different process of course from acting and everything oh, but to kind of i bet it was a lot of a lot of hard work definitely 
it's well it's yeah i was thinking about you know it's been three years now um i've been thinking about this mm -hmm. um because it's me talking for over 70 minutes so we needed to do something that was not just me talking for 70 minutes to the camera it's about so it's got animations in it uh we take a break from me whilst i do performances of some of the books that influenced me you know, i was talking about reading books uh, and this is uh, Island of Dr. Moreau um, by H.G. Wells, uh, Gaston Leroux's The Phantom of the Opera and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, there are extracts from those in it. Um, and there's some bits which, some sequences which I wanted to animate mm -hmm. um, as I'm telling the story, explaining what was going on. And it's it was really fascinating. And because I, I wrote it, uh, directed it although i was really lucky i had a very very good um actually not very lucky i made sure i had a really good first ad Stuart spark mm -hmm. uh, who's also one of the co-producers i made sure i had him on set with me so he because obviously it's really hard to direct yourself when you're in front of the camera right um but you know, and then i went on and i did all the editing uh for it as well nice. so um it was yeah it was challenging i've learned an awful lot about me and and so on and i've been really pleased with the reaction it's screened a few times um and i've been, managed to be with people in um london and belgium uh last month i was in belgium uh at a screening and it was people were really really responded to it very strongly and um nice yeah very good very good that is so amazing. Well, Mr. Vince, it has been an absolute pleasure. I can't thank you enough so much for, for being on the show. Like this is like up there and I'm like super excited, definitely off the bucket list because like. Oh, good. good. Oh, it's lovely to meet you, Chad. It, it, it was lovely to meet you as well. And I want to thank you so much for your time today. Um, And before we let you go, um, if there's mm. anything you want to let the, the listeners know about any social medias or any upcoming projects, sure. anything like that. Yeah. Okay. So um, the, the thing to do is go to nicholasvents.com, sign up to the newsletter, which is under the I am monsters tab. Um, I'll let you know if there are any more screenings or when it's actually going to be released, released on Blu-ray. Um, there's nothing out the The only other stuff I'm working on at the moment is writing projects um uh, there is a third volume of short stories which i've been working on for really been talking about for the last 10 years um i just keep on getting distracted by other things but now i seem to have a little bit of a gap so i'm actually just going to sit down and do some <laughs> writing um and then i'm working you know all, all the other stuff is kind of on on spec at the moment but yeah keep an eye out for i am monsters keep an eye out for how to kill monsters um which is a great comedy horror it's <laughs> just so much fun and again that's been uh winning a one special um best special effects in new york city horror film festival last weekend um nice. and it's uh yeah so but go to nicholasvince.com and sign up to the newsletter perfect mr vince thank you so much this is this has been a joy and i thank you so much for taking your time to to be on with that's us today pleasure my pleasure take care of yourself Chad. take care have a good one take bye. care you do bye all right folks so that is going to conclude our interview with the extremely talented nicholas 
Vince. I want to thank Mr. Vince so much for being on the show with us today, for telling us all of his amazing stories from, you know, the process of becoming the Chatterer to what got him interested in this amazing film industry. And before I end this episode, I want to give one last special, special shout out to you, the viewers, the listeners, the supporters, everyone who has been a part of the Horror Cave um, you know, all of you who have supported me in some way, I appreciate all of it so much. Thank you all for being there. Thank you for supporting the content this year. Every single thing that all of you have done, thank you so much. This year has easily been the biggest year for the podcast. Um, specifically, I mean, just the horror cave in general. You know, we've had some of the biggest names in the horror genre on this year and it's it still blows my mind that it was made possible because of all of you you know i think about it all the time and it's just crazy where i'm like wow i actually got to speak with that person or i got to meet this person or you know and it's truly truly a blessing um to be able to have this platform to have all of you who listen to this and support it and it means the world to me and i thank you all so much i look extremely forward to what 2024 will bring for us and i will catch you all on the next one on that note take care happy holidays see you all in the next year bye bye